policy beyond mobility. Welcome to Policy Beyond Mobility, a podcast series on the ever-evolving world of transportation by the Center for Public Policy Research, CPPR, where we bring to you podcasts with insightful discussions and diverse perspectives that surround the policies and innovations in the public transport ecosystem with experts to discuss, deconstruct and advocate for things that matter. Podcast episodes of Policy Beyond Mobility by CPPR are on Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts and on cppr.in. This is Lisbeth Godwin, Research Associate, CPPR, and I am joined here today by Dr. Vandana Vasudevan for this episode of Policy Beyond Mobility on Ride-Hailing, Demand for Gender-Segregated Transport. Dr. Vasudevan is a researcher and author and founder of Nagrik Foundation for Cities. She has a PhD in Urban Studies from University of Grenoble, France, and has worked on projects that focus on gender and mobility. She is particularly interested in the intersection of technology and society and has studied platforms such as ride-hailing in India and globally. Welcome, Dr. Vandana. So happy to have you here with us. Thank you, Lisbeth. Very happy to be invited to this podcast. Today, we will be discussing about gender-segregated services or women-only services in ride-hailing. Would it help get more women on the road as drivers and riders or is it just a reinforcement of restrictive gender norms? Uh, Dr. Vandana was part of a six-country ride-hailing study by the International Finance Corporation, uh, which actually found out that 20% of women riders said that the lack of women drivers limits the number of trips that women take. And about 44% said they would be more likely to use the services if they had the option of selecting a woman driver. Um, this is such an interesting study and the report is also available online. And uh, being one among the lead researchers, Dr. Vandana will be sharing her insights uh, while working on this particular study. And I'm sure uh, our listeners will also get a new perspective from this conversation. Uh, so to begin with... Uh, Vandana, the very first question I would like to ask you is, when we talk about gender-segregated transport, uh, the first question that comes is, is there a demand for gender-segregated transport globally? As per your research, what does the data say? Okay, there's uh, definitely a customer base of women who prefer to travel with other women rather than with a man. There have been two studies that the International Finance Corporation has conducted on the topic of gender-segregated transport with respect to the ride-hailing industry. The first such study, done in 2018, covered six countries, of, in- of which India was one, and it found that 20% of women passengers said that The lack of women drivers limits the number of trips they take and 44% said that they would be more likely to use the service if they had the option of traveling with a woman driver. Interest in gender-segregated ride-hailing services is evident not just in surveys but also in the emergence of many transportation startups that cater only to women across the world. So I was a researcher for the second IFC study whose report was published in 2020 and I spoke to no less than 40 such businesses across the world. 
So coming to your question about whether demand for GST exists in uh, India particularly, uh, GST as in gender segregated transport, not the goods and services tax in this context. So we know that women here face the risk of sexual harassment in public transport. There have been so many cases in the news, most famously in the, the Nirbhaya case of 2012. In India, therefore, the demand for women-only transportation is very real. The biggest evidence of this is in our mass transport where gender-based segregation has been done and separate compartments for women have always existed in metros and local trains and ladies' specials have been introduced in buses since decades. You can see they are completely packed. Women would rather sit in pink compartments in the metro than travel alone in a general compartment. I remember a girl wrote lyrically in a magazine on um, Delhi Metro about how comfortable she feels in the ladies' compartment of the Delhi Metro and how she enjoys the sisterhood that forms between regular commuters. So definitely there is a very expressed need for gender-segregated transport, especially in countries where women face harassment in public spaces. Um, thank you, Vanna. I think you have rightly pointed out um, uh, myself. Also, I mean, being a person who used to take bus rides, I can say something that I've heard from a lot of women folk is uh, the amount of harassment or what a, the sort of harassment they're put to when they're traveling through public buses or any forms of public transport. And this is also because of the overcrowding during the peak hours. Um, there is a mismatch in the demand and supply of public transport um, in the Indian context, which is also leading to higher cases of um, harassment, especially among women. So in that context, I think you've rightly pointed out that the demand exists when we talk about India. But um, what do you think are the challenges that GST services face? If we you know, let's say we bring this in India itself. I think there are already few examples. I think uh, in your report also it was mentioned about she taxi in Kerala. Uh, what do you think would be the possible challenges apart from that if we try to bring this? Okay, the main reason individual transportation like women-only taxi services are always priced above the market rate is because they incur high operational costs, much more than regular universal services do. The first challenge in running a GST is about the women drivers themselves. Finding women who are willing to take up driving as a profession, training them and controlling attrition are difficult challenges that these niche services face. It's not like a general ride-hailing uh, company where an Uber or an Ola can, um, you know, has men flocking to them to enlist as drivers on their platform. Here, the women are sourced from underprivileged backgrounds. Their families have to be convinced that this is a respectable profession and no harm will come to her. Only once that big barrier has been crossed are the women taught driving, then sent for a license test and then put on the road. Then, uh, once they are recruited, retaining professional women drivers is also pretty difficult. There's always a risk that they will return home anytime they feel they are needed at home. As in all countries, women are primary caregivers and domestic managers. There's this interesting story I heard from a lady who is the managing director of an uh, amazing venture called Ladybird Logistics in Ghana, whom I interviewed as part of the IFC uh, study. 
So this um, this company hires women for the unusual job of driving oil transport tra- tankers. So it is long distance truck driving, which has always been done by men. Ladybird Logistics challenged that and got women to do this job. The training for this was being provided by the Ghanaian army in a boot camp. So right in the middle of that training, one of the women ran back home. And when these people contacted her, the girl's mother said truck driving is for men, not women. If she drives a truck, no one would marry her. Truck driving is, of course, a more extreme example, but even for regular taxi driving within the city, hardly anyone wants to join. That's why even Uber and Ola have barely 3% of their fleet being driven by women. Then another example is in, uh, which I found was in Egypt, a taxi service run by women for women called Fionka found that during high school final exams, there was a huge drop in the number of drivers on the road. So when they investigated, they found that mothers were staying at home to ensure that children studied. And the founders were surprised because they never thought this was a variable to be factored into their business. I've heard similar things from the founders of Saka cabs, taxi she, and she cabs in Kerala, like you mentioned. All of them have narrated problems of uh, recruitment and retention of um, women drivers. The second issue is that demand is highly dynamic. Women passengers want women-driven taxis mainly at night when perception of security risk is greatest. But that is also the time when fewer women drivers are on the road. So there's a gap in the supply and demand of drivers. During the day when the women drivers are on the road, women passengers are not so particular about who they travel with. So this results in increased idle time for the driver who's just sitting around and therefore earning lesser income during that time. Another challenge which has happened in some countries is that models are not designed to account for gender identities other than male and female. So the onus is on individual drivers to determine whether to accept a rider's declared gender identity. So when someone identifies as a woman but whose physical attributes may not reflect this, the driver may not accept the passenger, leading to conflict. This has happened in, a, in some countries. So all these factors make running a woman driver, woman passenger business model particularly challenging and not easy to make profits in any country of the world. Companies are faced with uh, dilemmas of whether to operate as for-profit entities or to prioritize social impact over profit or exist in some form of hybrid model. Uh, right, Panna, thank you for pointing out the challenges. You have nicely touched upon the challenges from an Indian perspective as well as what you've seen in other countries. And um, now, when we talk about GST, uh, do you think that we can uh, look into other models apart from the exclusively women one that are perhaps, let's say, less challenging to run but are still GST light on that? Um, yes, in fact, the most basic women driver, women passenger uh, model is only one of the many that exist in the individual transit space of uh, GST. So some of the others are uh, one where the platform registers only women drivers, but allows her to serve both women and men passengers. 
So this allows the woman driver to earn more as the customer base becomes wider. So Priyadarshini cabs in India, Ladybug in Kenya, which is very popular, are examples of this. And uh, the second model is one where the choice of driver is left to the woman passenger. So the platform has both male and female drivers and the woman passenger can choose who she wants. Pikmi in Sri Lanka had experimented with this model. Then there is the algorithmic matching as practiced by DD in China, where the algorithm does the matching. It gives preference to matching women drivers with women passengers, but only if the wait time is not increased because of that. So if a lady books a ride, it will try to get her a lady driver. But not if that lady driver is far away. If a male driver is closer to her, the algorithm will match her with the male driver. Then there are models where the business caters to specific groups like only women employees of a certain corporate or only kids getting dropped to school or it limits itself to a particular geography or particular types of rides like only airport rides for example. So GST services are trying different strategies such that they can remain in the space largely driven, driven by social considerations and yet try to be financially viable. So which model will work in India really depends on uh, what that operation is trying to do. Are they keen on women drivers earning more or are they more keen on providing an exclusive service to women passengers? Um, thanks, Vandana, for explaining uh, the different models. Um, yes, I think um, when we talk about this, the utmost question is, um, in what scenario would the women driver or the rider feel safe? I think that's the first question that would come. Um, do you have any cases where, you know, um, maybe as a part of your research, you notice that a woman uh, driver is not feeling comfortable if the platform is open to both um, male, female or any uh, riders specifically? Okay, so women drivers are... Uh, do feel unsafe just as women in public places in general do. So uh, in January this year, a woman Uber driver in Delhi uh, whom I met, Priyanka, she was seriously injured when her car was smashed in a robbery attempt when she was on duty, which can happen to male drivers too. But women driving in the night are seen as vulnerable by perpetrators of crime and hence are more at risk. So, safer public spaces, uh, I think, are important, um, you know, as are emergency buttons in cabs and quicker police response in case of emergencies. So, apart from more urban services, you know, like toilets, which can all help in bringing more women to join the transport sector in operational roles. So, um, for example, I think that this the the point about toilets is really important. I I repeat what a lady from the European Union Transportation said in a conference that I was present in in Madrid. She said that the single biggest game changer can be more women's toilets toilets, and this was not her opinion. It came from a study the EU did among women transport workers who cited this as the biggest hurdle. So um, I have, therefore, I can, I, there are several reasons why women drivers do not feel safe entering the transport sector, like the ones I've outlined. And um, these are all 
in fact, easy to do interventions by public policy and by uh, the private sector in order to get more women into the uh, force. Uh, I think, uh, like you mentioned, it's very important that when we talk about bringing about GST as well, any policy in that front should also ensure other facilities like ensuring toilets or uh, public toilet facilities for women along with um, other aspects of it. So only then bringing about such a comprehensive plan would only ensure the successful implementation of uh, GST. Uh, moving on, I would like to ask you, um, when we talk about transportation, uh, the frontline of it or something we all talk about today is how can we make the ecosystem inclusive. In term, when we're talking about GST, how can you, how do you think it would ensure inclusive transportation? What do you think can be done to make driving more safer for women? So there is a school of thought that, um, you know, frowns upon the whole GST concept on the grounds that they create artificial barriers between genders because once you leave the vehicle, you anyway are vulnerable to any kind of harassment. So uh, they believe that unless society transforms and men learn to mend their ways, gender-segregated transport is meaningless. But that is an intellectual argument. If you ask the thousands of girls and women in traditional societies for whom such transport has been a gateway to accessing educational and employment opportunities, you'll hear a different story. So uh, I think GST by itself does make transportation inclusive, both for women passengers, um, for whom it sort of liberates them in various ways. So, so there have been, I've spoken to so many women who no longer depend on their, um, you know, the, the male members of their family if they want to go somewhere and they don't have to align their time with them because they can safely, they feel safe, um, uh, you know, hailing a uh, Uber or a similar kind of uh, service and going wherever they want. So it, of course, there is an affordability factor, but for those who can, it really has opened up the um, opened up mobility in a big way. And in societies where women face social and cultural barriers to move around freely, the presence of this kind of transport has um, is therefore in high demand. So it's also inclusive, of course, like we said, because it brings women into a sector where they have very little presence, that is transportation. And GST offers a path to start driving for women who wouldn't otherwise consider driving as an occupation. So in many ways, therefore, both for women passengers and for women riders, for drivers. Um, so in many ways, therefore, both for women passengers and women drivers, GST has uh, sort of opened the doors and made transportation more inclusive. So is it the only solution? How else can we make transportation inclusive is a good question. So GST in both mass and individual transport is a good solution, but of course it's not the only one. So greater access to transport for women is also restricted by it being unaffordable for large sections of society. That's why measures like the free ticket for women in buses by the Delhi government has been met with a positive response. So making transport accessible for women is a big step as women typically have fewer financial resources than men, which inhibits their mobility. In my own research for my thesis, I have met migrant women workers in an industrial area in the outskirts of Jalandhar, 
who had never left their neighborhood never visited the city because they felt spending the 10 rupees bus fare was an unnecessary luxury consequently they were severely transport deprived and there are many such examples in our cities so making trans public transport free for lower income group women is a welcome step second is a uh, thing that i can think of is that uh, providing more neighborhood local options so all literature shows that women make numerous trips but shorter local trips compared to men who travel longer distances but fewer times in a day so for example in greater noida which is in delhi ncr there are no public buses i used to live there so i know this only autos and since it is an erstwhile rural area that has been urbanized the villages are embedded within the urban area so the village women work as domestic maids in the high rises and commute from their village on foot walking one hour one way it's a very difficult thing to do in 40 degrees in summer and in the fog in january in uh, delhi ncr the men in the villages are in contrast they typically have motorbikes or cycles or they are resourceful enough to share a ride with a friend who drives some vehicle they just hitch a ride and sit with him but the women don't have personal vehicles and don't have the social network to hitch a ride and can't afford the auto fares so they just walk for long distances every day so public transport authorities need to take cognizance of these contexts and maybe start a time bound shared service of a bus or van which caters to local trips that women make that itself will enable more women to use transportation more freely uh thank you vandana for your insights um thank you for taking um this much time to discuss uh the importance of gst and uh, why india would need to focus on this and um to just um you know sum up like just one last question i would like to ask you since you were a lead researcher on gst uh, what is that one thing you would recommend that india do to ensure safety for its women passengers or people who form a part of this vulnerable group for women passengers i think uh, i think quick response time is a big thing and um, there have been various as part of an uh, team that wrote the toolkit for urban authorities for gender mainstreaming public spaces and public transport which the world bank had done so in that we have repeatedly said on how what are the specific steps that can be taken to make public spaces and transport safe for women and um, one of them which i remember stood out is quick response time so which means that enabling the person the victim who is facing the harassment to report her situation quickly in through an emergency button in cabs in buses in trains to uh, and for the pcr which connects to that to come in quickly and see and help the situation so quick response time through you know use of technology and other um, interventions is is the is one thing that uh, can be done and of course then then there are other things of, which are uh, more in the space of training and uh, soft skills is for example bystander in, intervention training so to teach people what to do if they see a woman being harassed in a public space 
and uh, these are i think things that can be done quickly to and definitely must be done for women to step out in more numbers thank you so much vandana for sharing your insights um, so for our listeners to quickly sum up um, the takeaways from this conversation um, gender segregated transport um, although it still remains heavily debated both in terms of its benefit to women and its efficiency within the broader transport system it is still being uh, an acting upon it because it would help meet women's urgent needs for safe transportation which also happens to be one of the biggest barriers to women's economic participation and um, represents an important step for women whose movement is constrained due to various factors it could be related to safety fears or restrictive social norms especially when we talk uh, in context of india and like dr vasudevan has rightly pointed out uh, the demand in india for gst is real um, we know uh, various studies which is pointing out um, sadly the number of harassments which women face in a public space and also in public transport uh, transport as such as buses or metros and so on and um, it's a sad truth but that is the demand and supply of public transport in our country has made um, public spaces unsafe for women which is why we need to have more conversations of gender segregated transportation um thank you so much once again um dr vandana for um shedding light upon these issues for uh, taking your time and i'm sure um, our listeners are going to go back with a lot of takeaways and um with this uh, we come to an end um of this episode of our policy beyond politics podcast and we will be back with another thought provoking and interesting topic next week listen to our podcast series policy beyond mobility by cppr on spotify amazon music google podcasts apple podcasts and also the cppr website www.cppr.in